Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Happy October 1st, everybody. Kelly Kirsch, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon. Busy show today. NHL insider Eric Tehachuk coming in after about 12.30 or so. We're going to really talk about now what? Next week is a big week for the Flames. Massive week for all NHL teams. And it will be our focus on most of the shows for the next little while, as it should be. Let's kick off the show and talk to Lou. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou, it kind of hit me working uh, today, you know, getting ready for the show. It's like, okay, it's October 1st. Things mm-hmm. are going to heat up and be very interesting. We got the draft, we got free agency, we've got trades, we've got all this kind of stuff. Man, it's a lot to unpack it in in just a few days, but it is the most important time for NHL teams, and I, I can't imagine how stressful it is for for those uh, thirty one GMs trying to figure out how to make their teams better. Well, Kelly, it's very different now too, and it's very different because. What COVID has done is it has done in so many different places and businesses is it's eliminated really being able to do business with potential growth in your salary structure. So, um, and as you know, there's one thing to have, you know, 81 million to spend, but that doesn't mean that owners aren't going to have different ideas about what you can spend. And a lot of teams and a lot of good teams are up against it to begin with. So um, more now than ever, because of a scenario where anyone who I respect in hockey has talked about, they don't really see much movement in a positive direction, you know, for three, four or five years. I, I think it just makes it so complex, so confusing and you know, in terms of how you evaluate this, this is the big one, Kelly, for me all the time. And it's the hardest evaluation in sports. How close are you as a team? How close are you? Exactly. And, and what are you and, willing to do to, to make that extra step or what should you do? Well, you're correct. But in the evaluation, and the evaluation is so difficult based on you know, what you think you need, what you're missing, um, the time in your program in terms of, you know, some of your young up-and-coming people, where they slot in, when they're going to be ready. And I've said it many times, I'll say it again today, and that is, and they're going to have huge decisions to make, and that's the chance. You know, because when you have a lot of people that are pretty highly paid, um, and you have decisions to make, well, not everybody can stay. We saw that with Chicago. Uh, and even closer to home, Kelly, don't you think Winnipeg in some ways has been penalized in the sense that they've had a lot of good young people, they've drafted very well, they've developed, they all hit a certain point at the same time. So why did their defense, go to where it went to. Well, I mean, Dustin Bufflin, that didn't help. But, you know, they had to move on from people and make adjustments because even after what was kind of a two-year window in which they got, you know, to the conference final, 
it changed. Yeah. Well, well, think about it this way, guys, and we'll get uh, PK into this one as well. Um, so we talk about the Flames, you talk about the Jets, talk about the Oilers. What team is home and cooled when it comes to cap situations and re-signings? I can't, I can't think of one. I think maybe Colorado has got yeah. some decisions well, to make. Colorado is, in, Colorado is in such good shape over the next couple of years until a gentleman by the name of McKinnon, who under today's circumstances is, you know, John Tavares for a long time at $5 million, guys, was the biggest bargain. And now, for me, that shifted to Nathan McKinnon. So what you can get done for that group that is stacked, that group has great young stars, that group has great young talent on the way, especially on defense. When you talk about Vancouver Giant and Canadian World Junior defenseman and Bowen Byram and you know, the emerging Samuel Gerrard and Connor Timmons who made his, like, they are pretty stacked and they have money. Uh, And I wondered out loud, even going into last year at this point in time, wouldn't you go get Carey Price? Or Markstrom or somebody like that. Right, right. And, 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 And I don't see a scenario for Colorado because there's a lot of teams, Kelly, just the way the world is going, where, you know, in a, let's say, 82-game world, right? To me now, and it's going to be even more compacted next season, it's probably you're going to need almost like 1A and 1A-. minus. But my point is, I'm going to have a tough time paying goalies a ton of money just the way the whole salary structure has become. If I'm Colorado, I'm going to do it because that might be the piece that puts me over. But if I'm a team that still kind of has work to do to get into that, really have a chance, you know, that kind of window, I got to, for me personally, as much as I value and as much as the sport can be called goalie, I got to be careful if I'm paying any goalie over five million dollars a year. I, I do. Yeah, but I'm, my, I guess my original question, and I'll throw this to Peter Klein. So Colorado, they, they've got some some options, but I think most teams, what eighty ninety percent, are really having to to you know either you're in the bottom of the heap and you're trying to get back up, you were you know at the top of the heap, like to stay there, or you're trying to add some players, but you have this you know problem with with the cap not going up, like, are there any other teams besides Colorado that are going, boy, this is, this is going to be our time to shine. We're actually, I'm going to put my feet up here. I don't think there is. (laughs) No, not really. And to Lou's point, like the the Avalanche's cap friendly page should be printed off and all GMs should throw change at it every day, hoping that the salary cap gods present them with some of the same things they have, because I think Colorado's salary cap situation is fantastic. I, I think the only other team I can think of, might be the New York Rangers, but I have a tough time saying that when you have $13 million being spent on guys who aren't playing on your team this year, but they still have a, a lot of money that they can spend because they have some young players on some all-right contracts. But no, I, I think, and this is what's going to make the the pursuit of guys like Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo so interesting, is you have like a lot of very good teams going to have to make some difficult decisions. Like Vegas has been constructed... 
they have five million dollars in cap space to work with, and we're all assuming all of that is going to the goalie. So no, uh, to to Kelly's point, I, I do think that there is going to have to be a lot of creativity this year as all these teams try to improve on uh, what we saw from them this past season. And Lou, Kelly, I- there's 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 two tiers. Yeah. So. Uh, I think where you are kind of leaning, and it's very true, is amongst teams that we think legitimately have a chance to take another step, you're right. There's not a lot of team with room. But where there is room is there's room in Ottawa, and there's room in New Jersey. And, you know, Buffalo is – you take a look at their salary structure, okay, they've got some big pieces, but – you want to go up and down and all you see on Buffalo right now with some, you know, exceptions. And there's some key exceptions. One guy I want to talk about today, potentially, and that's Jack Eichel is I see nothing there, but RFAs and UFAs because that's what there is. So again, there's money there, but that's kind of what you find. I mean, to get into the upper echelon, it's hard to have a lot of room. It's, it's now I see the opportunity outside of Colorado. Pete just talked about, you know, Vegas having some money, but it, chances are they don't need a lot, so it might be solidifying with a goalie. But it's the opportunity for me lies with, you know, the teams on the bottom half that now have other teams, you know, in a tough spot, and can you take advantage? And here's another team with a great advantage, haven't even played a game. The Seattle Kraken. Yes. Uh, Lou, you sent us a note and you wanted to talk about some uh, specific players for the Calgary Flames as maybe targets. And I guess you start with, you know, what what is your priority as, as, a, as a Flames GM and as a Flames fan and someone who follows the Flames? And no matter where you are, like, what do you think? I think you probably get about 10 different answers. But um, where, you know, we, we've heard about Darcy Camper. We've, we've heard talk about Taylor Hall when you think about priorities and, and what's reasonable for the flames which um, what what do you what do you think is is going to be the top priority when we figure out you know a week Friday or a week tomorrow I guess what's going to be the big press release coming from the flames or what do you think it should be okay well Kelly um, I've I've been steadfast on this including a couple of times this week so i'm not i haven't changed my mind and that's on the reconstruction if possible of your forward group but the fact of the matter is you know the goaltending situation it matters and there's work to do in terms of your defense so that tells me this you're in a different window than you know somebody like colorado where we're kind of talking about one thing with the Flames, we're still talking about more than one thing. So for me, based on the core that we've seen, I, I would start, if you can, you know, trying to reconstruct in some way, shape, or form that forward group, which is why I've said, including yesterday, that will it surprise me if Brad Treleving finds himself in another big deal situation where like he takes a big, big swing. So of some of the forwards that are available, and I, I won't have a discussion as much as it is, you know, me and my own opinion, J- 
Jack Eichel is a fascinating person for me. So you know that he's locked in at $10 million till 2026. He's of the right age. He's an elite centerman that you don't necessarily have. So would I look there if I could make a deal? I'd look, but I know that this GM is looking at everything. And, you know, but there's a lot of other factors to this. And the other factors are, if, is Jack Eichel your guy to lead the way? Along with maybe someone like Matthew Kachuk, who at $7 million right now is two years before he gets paid. But also remember, with Jack Eichel, if you don't think you're not going to have to give up a lot, like, you're kidding yourself. So how, like, where are you willing to go to get it done? I like the fact that he's the right age. I've seen great growth. He's an elite center. Um, I don't know enough about him in terms of spending individual personal time with him to get a better feel about him as a person and how he would fit and where he would fit into what the flames are trying to grow now. And those things for me are really, really important. If I'm the Sabres and, or I'm going to do a deal with the Sabres, I'm wondering why is that even, even a consideration Big, strapping, number one center, which are hard to find. Like, why would you ever give that up? What What is the deal? Why are they even entertain? Is it because he makes too much money? What's the story? Okay, here's what I'd ask you to think about. What if you're convinced he doesn't want to be part of the solution? If he's checked out and he says, I don't like it here, I want to go yeah. play for a winner. How do you handle that? Then you have to trade him. So that's where my mind goes. And we have heard that there seems to be maybe, and, you know, anytime a story comes out, there's always probably a little something, something. Although, you know, in this day and age where everybody's trying to be first and everybody's trying to make a splash and everybody in the business is trying to come up with a big story or get a jump on a big story, I always kind of check to go, Okay, is this guy really unhappy here, or is he just frustrated? And I don't know the answer, but that, Kelly, I responded the way I did is because that's the only reason that I move in a different direction with him. Because I'm a big believer in one thing, and many things, but this one thing. If, if I have great players, that's one thing. But I need great players who are really, truly all in and committed to not just me and my own agenda, but to to being in a community, making a difference. And and I need guys who want to win. So if I'm bringing a guy in, the best I can tell, I need to know that he wants to be part of the solution and help me win. And you know what, Kelly? The bottom line is in life and in sports – that's not for everybody because everybody has different agendas. Yeah, I yeah, I just wonder if you're paying him that much money, you're going to have to he's going to do a lot of heavy lifting for you cuz you can't afford nope. to that that, that no. supporting cast has to be young and cheap. 
because that is a lot of cash for for that guy. Right. And he's you know is he worth it? Who knows? But um, but he's kind of that name that's been out and it's been out there for a while too, right? So, right. What about right? And if you're the Flames, it checks it checks some boxes. Checks the boxes depending. A lot yes, depending on what you're willing to give. Yeah. Just yeah. a, a follow up on that with, with Lou um, talking about like how maybe he doesn't want to be part of the solution with the Sabers. Would that concern you from a Flames perspective? That hey, look, like we we aren't just a Jack Eichel away from all of a sudden going to the promised land. Would he, if he's already checked out in one place, would that concern you about maybe he would do it again here? I'm going to ask you. Would it concern you? Would me? Yeah. Would me? It, it would concern me. Now I would probably get over it. Um, I I think like you guys said I think he's a difference maker and I think he is like one of the elite players in this game and they have just bungled that situation up greatly um, in Buffalo but I I would have a little bit of concern that if it got off to even a bit of a rocky start here that he just checks out again and again it's not just the dollar figure you're giving up it's going to take more than Monaghan and a second to get Jack uh, Jack Eichel out of uh, of Buffalo Um, and so you're giving up a lot on a dude who just kind of, eh, a, a bad situation. I, I would just, I would get concerned that if it didn't start going my way right away, how he would handle that. I think I would still do it, but I would, I would be very, very worried about it. And how's he going to mix more importantly with the key people and the leaders on your group? And that's why right. I pointed to Matthew Kachuk because going forward, if indeed Matthew wants to be in Calgary long term and we're a couple of years away from, you know, crossing that bridge, well, I need my best people to grow together and to be in and to be tied. And that also has to have everything to do with the philosophy of my team and the culture that I've created and the people that I've created. I, I, I make one statement all the time, and I'm not saying. And, and I said it flat out. Do I know Jack Eichel well enough at this point to make this assessment? Well, he hasn't won anything yet, but he hasn't really been in a position to win anything. And he's also young, but I've seen great growth in his overall game. So that excites the heck out of me with this guy. But in sports and in business, uh, I'm a big believer and I stand by it. You don't always win with the best players. You win with the right best players and trying to determine that is incredibly difficult in a very optic filled world where you know when you deal those kind of people or you get those kind of people there's a lot more to think about than what optically looks good and all I have to do for an example is you know, were people banging on the J.T. Miller drum in Vancouver mm. saying this is a great thing? Not at the time. Well, they are now, yeah. but they certainly weren't at the time, and it takes a lot of courage and conviction and knowing what you want for your group to make those kind of moves to kind of set things with the right people. And even if you're Jim Benning, if you held him up to the fire – that's what he thought he saw, but then you don't completely know how anybody's going to fit in to a new situation and how, you know, in his case, he got the guy because that guy went to Vancouver and embraced all of it and made a massive difference. 
right, so so Lou, you're you're convinced if the Flames are going to change that uh, that forward core, it's more likely going to be through the trade route than a big signing or signing or two. No, on... I didn't. No, Am I, I didn't. Putting words into your mouth, sir. <laughs> no, I I listen. Um, I think it. I think things can get done in a number of in a number of different ways, but. You know, so, Kelly, comparing him to, let's say, Taylor Hall. Okay. We don't have any cost certainty on Taylor Hall. And he's also a lot older than Jack Eichel. Now, we might not be in love with the $10 million a year for Jack Eichel, but in a world that we talked right off the top about, looks like it has some form of salary cap fixed, you know, a fixed place for the next three, four, or five years. Don't you think that matters even more to know how much you're getting somebody for rather than yeah. if you brought in, you know, you went out and got Taylor Hall. Now you could arrive at the same place. Um, and maybe with, with his body of work and the fit with your team, maybe you're okay to do that. So again, I love the conversations because I think sometimes on the outside it looks easy because people go, okay, well, we have this need, so let's go get that guy. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. Buzz. Yeah. It, it's, it's not that simple. Guys, I've just got a feeling there is a team in the weeds there that we're not thinking about that's going to make a big splash and come out of nowhere. I don't know which team it is, but I think we are going to start seeing some surprises next week. I just got a feeling it's going to be – it's so weird – I just, I just, you know, maybe Lou, maybe you're with me, maybe you're not, but I think there's a team out there that is, that thinks they're close and can arrange things. They're going to get really creative and really sharp, and you might see a big splash from maybe somebody we weren't expecting. Do you know what I would say though, Kelly? Mm. And and I think we've even just seen some examples. I I don't think you. I think rarely you get instantly to better places by big, big shakeups. I think teams that end up winning, and we just saw it with Tampa, like isn't it about kind of getting to a certain place and then kind of getting and tinkering and doing some things to put you over? Now, so in defining that, I do. I see some really big things happening because there's people that are going to get paid and they – you know, I don't think we have time. Maybe you have time. If not, we'll go there tomorrow. You know who's a fascinating guy for me? Patrick Liney. Yeah. What happens there? What happens with Winnipeg? What do they want to do? Yeah. Interesting. We should probably dig into that tomorrow because that's, that's that's okay. Let's 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 go there. Let's go there tomorrow because I've thought about it, and I'm going to bring something to the table that I've seen somewhere else in sports. This is, this is what we call in, in TV and radio a hook. I've seen a similar example in sports that I'm going to make a comparison to on the show tomorrow that involves Patrick Lining. And if that's not a big enough hook, it's also Friday, and it's Lou's Mailbag Friday. That's a good hook. Like, if you're not setting your alarm for 12 p.m. tomorrow you're crazy like it's gonna be huge i promise well you. it's tasty i'll tell you it's gonna be awesome <laughs> all right lou we will talk tomorrow
Okay, have a great one, everybody. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. PK, you want another big tease? Another, uh, just, I just got a, I got a tune in kind of deal. You ready? Uh, of course, yes. <clears throat> We're going to start the month of October with perhaps the biggest football game in the mm. last two or three days. <laughs> it's going to be massive. Because when you think about it, two 0-3 teams, somebody has to win. Or do they? <laughs> yeah. Or do we have a tie? Well, that that would be something. I wonder when the last football tie we had on the air would be. Like that would be that would be uh, that would be interesting. I don't know if we've ever had one, but I do know we are going to have Denver and New York tonight. Of uh, all the football games in the world, that's definitely one of them. Well, you know, there are some people that like the Jets, like Will Nault, and that's the only guy I know that likes the Jets. And there's some people, you know, that are still Broncos fans because you know Denver and Calgary are kind of similar sort of cities, both. Mountain cities. So mm-hmm. there you go. Tonight at 6 o'clock. Looking forward to that. We're going to talk to Eric DeHatchuk next. He is our NHL insider. He will uh, talk to us about, well, a few things, including what he thinks the Flames might do come uh, a week tomorrow and a few other surprises as well. And don't forget, Inside the NHL is back. We'll have that in the 5 o'clock hour. It's brought to you by Calgary Co-op. Calgary Co-op is your one-stop barbecue shop. From only Alberta meats to local grill-ready products, Calgary Co-op is here to help you be your barbecue best. We'll take a break and talk to Duhatchik next right here on Sportsnet 960. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Time to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dining service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975. Eat in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out, have it delivered, get it tonight. Should be awesome if you're watching all that baseball. He's our NHL insider, Eric DeHatchik. And Eric, I wanted to start off with a a, a chat with you about um, Hendrick Lundqvist as we found out the Rangers were going to buy him out. A guy that spent his entire career with a uh, a storied franchise in a a very high-profile position. And I think everybody's going, what's next for King Henrik? Where, where do you see him? Do you see him playing? Do you see him doing something high profile outside of hockey in the New York area? Where, you know, where, where do you think that he might end up? I mean, it's a great question. and I don't have a really great answer because I don't know him well enough to be able to, to know where he's at in terms of, of, of his professional life. I mean, as you say, he's had a great career. And the times that I've spent like one-on-one time with Henrik Lundqvist are those, those NHL media tours. So most Septembers, when, uh, before training camps begin, they invite the national press to New York, and you can sit down for 15 minutes with all of the stars of the game. And, uh, and, and Lundqvist was always, always the, the Ranger representative to that. And they would have you know, events with Vogue magazine, and they would promote all these. And, and you know, this was like the, the, you know, the best-dressed man in the National Hockey League, and he was an incredibly charming, thoughtful guy. So you know, the little bit that I know about him are from those particular interactions, a handful over the years. And he always struck me as someone that, that, that looked at everything in a very rational way. So, so he would look probably at this 
departure from New York in, in, in a rational way. He would he would see it from an organ, the organization's point of view. At the age that he's at, at the contract that he's at, with these two young goaltenders that have clearly shown that they're ready to play, you know, they they have to do that. Like they they're, they're backed into a corner, and I think they handled it with with great class. How they did all this thing. So now you're Henrik Lundqvist. You've you've known probably that this is coming for a long period of time, and now you have to sort out in your own mind: is there a team that you would like to go to for a very short period of time to win that elusive Stanley Cup because they got to that final that one year against LA and lost. And how badly do you want to disrupt your life, which is, you know, I mean, he's dug in in New York and, and, and in Sweden. And, you know, if, if Colorado, for example, came calling and Joe Sackick said, you know, Henrik, do you remember 20 years ago when we won the Stanley Cup here and I handed the thing to Ray Bork and it was the greatest moment in the end? Well, we can do the same if you come and join us for one year at this number. And so I think that there will be overtures because I think that as much as his numbers haven't been that great in the last couple of years, I think the feeling is that he has this veteran calm and on a good team, a team that scores the way Colorado does, you know, you want that you know, commodity and goal, uh, and and you know maybe you don't have it with Grubauer and France. So 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 I, I think if a door were to open, like for example Colorado, I think he would have to consider it. But I don't think I think for three quarters of the teams in the National Hockey League, he, he wouldn't because he, he he also knows because he's a calm, rational guy. They have you know the 31 teams, you know 16 make the playoffs in, in a regular year, and it's a tough circuitous path, and even if you decide to give up a year of your life to pursue this thing, the odds are still pretty slim that you're not going to get there. So I, I, would, I would say he's at a crossroads, and he has to decide based on, on, you know, like I'm sure his agent is out there soliciting interest from other teams, and then if there is a particular situation that piques his interest, then, then I think he plays on. But my guess is, you know, you know probably he's, he's going to pack it in at this stage because I, I don't know if that opportunity will come along. And we may not know that for a couple of days. We may not know it for a couple of weeks. But, uh, uh, but he is an interesting domino in this free this goaltending market this summer because there's goalies available via trade there's goalies available via you know free agency and and you know we've talked about it a few times i I think that there's going to be an awful lot of transition you know this guy moving to that team and and and, you know and that creates an opening somewhere else and and there'll be this you know musical chairs or shuffling of the deck or whatever metaphor you want to use that will apply to, to goalies and you know lundquist has a chance to be in the midst of it What's his legacy going to be? He, you know, he played for a long time. Uh, you know, he was one of the best goalies for a long, long time in a high-profile market. Um, and when you think about, like, the Mike Richters and way back, Eddie Jockelman, they've, they've had some high-profile guys play for the Rangers. But I think if, if it's the, the Mount Rushmore of goalies for the Rangers, he's got to be on it, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, again, you know, many years ago, I, I served on the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, and he would be a very interesting name to consider because he will be eligible. If, if this is it for him in three years' time, he will be eligible, and he will 
uh, I think he'll get strong consideration uh, as, a, as a goalie to go in the Hall of Fame. Now, we've talked about this before. You know, goalies are substantially underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And, and the couple that you mentioned, Mike Richter, John Van Beesbrook, guys who had very good careers in New York, are not in the Hall of Fame. Mike Vernon is not in the Hall of Fame. Mika Kiprasov is not in the Hall of Fame. So where does Henrik Lundqvist compare to those guys? I, I'd say he's a peer. Um, I wonder if the fact that he played in that market and, and he was such a visible face of the National Hockey League and has had some success internationally, if that will tip the scales in his favor. I, I would say he's, you know, like a lot of people, you know, are saying surefire, automatic. No, I don't agree with that. But I, I think that he will get support and, you know, and he, he'll probably be one of those guys that will either be a few votes short or, 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 or get the, you know, the, the required number, uh, you know, at some point uh, in, in his career. But, but, you know, his legacy is going to be one of, one of the best goaltenders of, of all time. And, uh, and I think, too, at a time when the National Hockey League was trying to sort of reestablish itself in New York. So you remember when they won the Cup in, in 94 and then there was the lockout and the Rangers, you know, have had an erratic time of it uh, for a period of time. And then Vino went in there as a coach and, you know, they made it to that one Stanley Cup final. But they, they ended up having a pretty good run there. And there was a period of time when New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, the three major cities in, in the United States, all had good teams all at the same time. And I think that that really helped grow the National Hockey League business. I mean, all we've been talking about the last six months is how the National Hockey League business is going to shrink precipitously because of the uh, after effects of the pandemic. Well, the reason that it got to the point that it, it did was because in those three major media markets, they had really good teams and interest increased in all of those cities, and, and they were able to, 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 to grow the league in, in, in leaps and bounds. And Henrik Lundqvist was, was a critical factor in, in the growth of, of that New York New York market at a time when when the business was expanding so that will be his legacy you know uh, looks great in a suit you know friendly wonderful human being you know put it this way you know the, the game will be poorer for losing Henrik Lundqvist if he decides to retire after the season if I'm NBC I'm just making up a contract right now and going hey Hank if you decide this is what you want to do I mean he would be probably better than anybody else they have on that panel down there I would think like more more certainly more famous if that if that matters but certainly a guy that is very articulate and i don't know i think that would be uh that would be my go-to if i was nbc yeah, no, it's a great point, you know, but again, I have never broached the idea of, you know, is, is television something that uh, that you're particularly interested in? And now, I did have a conversation with Patrick Sharp about that a couple of months ago, um, because he's doing a lot of uh, the panel work uh, on, on uh, MSNBC, and, uh, and and he's really enjoying it. But but the one thing that, you know, he talked about was that you really have to make a commitment, you know, so you have to make a commitment to getting better, because in the beginning, you're not really sure you know what you're doing, and then you really have to pay attention to the game and the sports so that you're you're aware of what's going on and you know and then a lot of times you know you're, you've got to make yourself available late at night to, to because that's when hockey is is played so again it, it will for Lundquist it will eventually come down to to lifestyle and what he chooses to do next there is a part of me that thinks that, that as charismatic as he is and he, you know he might be one of those those guys that fills in occasionally on a panel, I don't see him, you know, going down that path as, as something that he wants to do once his playing career ends. I, I think he's somebody that probably has interest in, in other walks of life, you know, maybe fashion, uh, you know, and, and, and doing something in, in, in that industry. So I, I don't think we'll see him 
as a as a panelist, you know, replacing you know the you know the the people that are down there safe. But I could be proven wrong. I, I don't know him well enough to be able to say what he's thinking in, in, in terms of post playing career right now. In fact, as I said, you know, at the, at the start of the segment, I think probably in the next week or two, he's going to be very interested to see what his agent can come up with in terms of interest around the league, and then having to decide if there is a really good fit with a, a good chance to win the Stanley Cup, whether he wants to go through, you know, training, you know, in the off season and getting himself mentally prepared to play again. Cause that's the big thing. When you talk to players at the end of their careers, the thing that they say goes first is that mental commitment to the off season training. You just find that you can't bring yourself to one more time, push yourself as hard as you have to push yourself to get into the gym, to get up in the morning, to watch your diet, to do all those things that require such discipline to play in the national hockey league. You just, you just lose the desire for that. And um, so that's, that, that's really the crossroads that he's at right now, I believe. Eric Dajic is our NHL insider right here on hockey central noon. The, NHL offseason upon us. It gets very interesting very quickly. We're also joined by Peter Klein. Peter. Uh, and a big part of that offseason and the, the next destination of it is the NHL draft. And that is when traditionally a lot of moves get made, uh, specifically involving the team in this city. Uh, how different do you think it's going to be this year where in terms of movement, because we don't have that draft room floor where all the guys are going to be around talking. It's going to be uh, a lot different this year. Do you think that's going to, to hinder some of the move making this year? That's an interesting question because I was speaking to a you know a, a, a team an NHL executive from another team about uh, about something else yesterday, and and we just got into that whole how are the logistics of this draft going to work? And, and I raised that exact same question because I said you know the one thing about having you know every you know 31 teams on the floor is that you know like it's very easy to you know pick up the phone like if you're the Calgary Flames you pick up the phone and, and you call the New York Islanders desk and it's Bradtree Living talking to to Lou Lamorello and you know and they're negotiating and either something happens or, or it doesn't happen or if you're not on the clock. You know, you wander over to the next table and, you you know, you cut a guy out of the pack and you have a, a discussion. So obviously those things are not going to be there. But but the, but this executive I was speaking to was saying that it doesn't really change that much because, you know, in the absence of, of picking up the phone at the draft table, now, you know, you've got your cell phone and, and you're texting. Now, I suppose it's possible that if, you know, if you're trying to make a deal in that, you know, like 30 to 60 second window between picks or five minutes or whatever it is, um, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, I, I mean, I think it will be more complicated. I think, uh, um, especially for the type of deal, you know, you know how it always, usually after you get past the first round, you know, uh, Gary Bettman will get up there and announce, you know, we have a trade, you know, Calgary's traded, you know, 39 and 42 for, for 23. Those types of things where, where a team specifically has a player in mind, you know, suddenly that player is available, um, you know, deeper in the draft than they thought. And it's like, let's move up and get it because we didn't think, you know, player X would be available there. Um, those sorts of deals that, that happen all the time at the draft, and that don't really register that big with, uh, with fans, but ultimately can pay a big dividend if you end up hitting a home run with the guy that you're, you've targeted. Um, I think those will be, uh, the logistics of those will be harder to execute 
because the draft is being done remotely. In terms of, of the, the, the bigger things, like the, the big moves, when you think back that Carolina-Calgary trade a few years back, I don't think anything that, 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 that's going to happen this time is going to uh, undermine the ability to do that because those sorts of deals are not made at the spur of the moment. You know, it was the one that I was just referencing is the kind of thing where, you know, a guy's available and now you've got to move really quickly. So moving really quickly is going to be difficult. But when you're constructing a major trade, if you're trading, you know, Jack Eichel for Andre Kopitar or whatever, those, you, you set the groundwork for those early on and then, you know, you, you, you make those. So I don't think it will affect the blockbuster type of deal, but I do think those little tweaks where people want to move up and you've got a, you know, you've got seconds to really make a decision and then, you know, then the other party has seconds to decide whether it's enough. That's going to be more complicated for sure. As we get closer and closer to the draft, do you believe the Flames will be using that first round pick on a player or in a deal? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I, I think at this stage of the game, I would say they're going to pick a player there uh, only because I do think that organizationally they probably need to replenish the defensive pipeline if they can. Um, yeah, so that would be my answer. I, I think that uh, um, you would, you know, in, in a perfect world, unless, unless there's something staring you in the face that, that is too good to turn down, I think that they'll try to... Uh, I think they'll try to draft a player uh, in the first round this year. I mean, when I look at their team right now, because I was listening to the, the earlier segment, and, and it really is fun to sort of look at all the different options, at forward, at defense, and goal. But, but I have to think that if, if you're in the war room in, in Calgary right now and, and you're on cap friendly and you're looking at you know, who's signed, who isn't, and where the holes are, I, I, you have to start in goal because you only have – one signed NHL goaltender, and you have to look at the right side of the defense because of all of those UFAs on the right side. So as much fun as it is to speculate about Eichel coming here or Taylor Hall coming here, I think you know the priority are to, to the priority is to sort out those two positions. You have, if, if you're moving on from Cam, Cam Talbot, you have to make sure you have somebody else coming in, uh, preferably someone that's an established NHL goaltender to solidify that position. Because I think David Riddick would be a great one B going forward. But the way things have been the last couple of years and, and the uncertainty, well, the last five or six years, the uncertainty of that goalie position. If you can button that down, I think that would be a priority. And then you have to sort out the right side. I mean. I, I I think we all agree that uh, uh, that Travis Hamannick is probably moving on. Uh, not as convinced about T.J. Brody, but but certainly uh, you, you have a gaping hole on the right side if both of them uh, leave. So those are the, the areas that you have to address. And in the meantime, you, you, I think you have a surplus on the left side, you know, because not only do you have you know Mark Giordano there, but but your two best young players that you think are going to be on your roster next year, you know Valimaki and Mackey are both on on the left side as well. So you know possibly does that mean that Hannafin is in play? Put it this way: if if the Flames make a deal in the next seven to ten days featuring a player off their roster, I think it's if I had to identify the most likely candidate to be to be leaving, it would be Noah Hannafin, a left side defenseman. That's young. That was drafted fifth overall the same year that uh, Provorov went seven and, and Warensky went eight. Shabbat went eighteen. Um, if, if you're a team that thinks that he hasn't reached his ceiling and that he has more to give and that he can, he can, you know, 
elevate the level of his play, uh, which is what his draft position suggested, that, that that would be an attractive guy. I mean, you know, he's he's big. Uh, he can you know burn in, in, in you know a lot of minutes right now, and 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 maybe there's more to give there. So, and and if you have a surplus anyway on the left side, and you really need help on, on the right side, you know that might be, you know, you know an area where you have to explore. Eric Datchik is our guest. He's our NHL insider right here on Hockey Central at noon, talking about the NHL off season. Yes, uh, come next Friday is going to be very interesting as teams can get out the checkbook. They got to be careful, obviously. But Eric, you know, Flames fans want to know, like, what are the chances of of some of these big fish? actually landing in Calgary is it is it a possibility a is it a destination that some of these guys would choose and b can the flames make it work with their salary cap I'm talking well about, the, 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 so the, the second part of the equation I, I think yes you know they have 17 million dollars to spend if they move you know a Hannafin it would be 22 um, and I mean the hardest thing right now is try to figure out what the market is right so you've got a flat cap You've got all these teams that are, are being internally asked to stick to a budget rather than spending to the cap. So the financial landscape is is fluid right now in the National Hockey League, but trending down. Like, you know, it's sort of like when the stock market starts to, to trend down and it just keeps dipping, dipping, dipping. I think that's where, you know, the uh, you know as every day passes, I'm sure that, you know, teams are getting their budgets and, and it's probably not looking anywhere like what they'd hoped that it would be. Um, so if you have the space and Calgary does, then I think that there are some options out there. So, yes, yeah, I do think that you can, you, you know, they, they can be aggressive in free agency. And, uh, and the, the problem, in, in, in many ways, you almost wish it was the other way around in terms of, you know, free agency first, then the draft, because so many draft, you know, of the trades that you make at the, at the draft would be easier to make if you knew who you could get in free agency. Like, you, you, do you go out and solve, you know, the issue on the right side of your defense? It, but but maybe maybe the, the solution is in free agency and it's, it's Alex Petrangelo, right? So you can't really go out and trade for a right side defenseman if you think you have a shot at signing somebody three days later. That's what makes it so complicated this year. As, as I said, if you if you had free agency first and you could go out and fill your holes via free agency, then you would know what you have to do trade wise. So I I, I, you know, I I wonder. You know, we we always talk about how you know there's going to be all these moves at the draft, all these moves at the draft, and many years we're really disappointed that the, you know there are so few and, and the, the the trades that do happen involve draft picks somebody trying to move up somebody trying to move down so uh, that, that's the part that uh, that is puzzling me but i think it's also puzzling the the guys with their fingers on the actual switch that the general managers you know in some ways you know you have to wait for all these dominoes to fall and yet if you if you don't make a trade at the, at the draft and then the guy you're after in free agency signs somewhere else now what do you do now you're you're stuck, and maybe you have to start shopping on the second level of free agents. So, um, as I say, it's a layered process this year, and and complicated by you know these you know, financial times that we're that we're living in. So, you know, I'm I'm loath to make predictions because because I just don't know, you know. And and I'm, yeah. as I said, I I don't think the people that are actually running the show know themselves how this whole thing is going to play out. I just wonder, guys, if it's going to be one of those situations where maybe we think Friday. Next Friday, you know, when the free agents thing opens up, that maybe it's going to be more like Saturday or Sunday or Monday. Eric, where do you where do you come out on that? Do you think we'll have some big splashes the first day, or we're going to have to stretch it out for 
four or five, six, maybe a weekday. Or no, no, I mean that's a great point too, Kelly, because there's no courting period this year, right? That that, that at least is my understanding. That uh, that how why there's always a courting period, right? Oh yeah, but okay, but but then but it's called tampering, right? So so the NHL in the, in the last handful of years, as you know, has 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 created an official courting period where you could actually contact players ahead of them becoming free agency to to register your interest in them, and that was the reason why these last handful of years, you know, the guys are off the board in, in a minute. You know, at 12.01 when your network goes on the air, you know, this guy signs, that guy signs, this guy signs, that guy signs. In the first hour, you know, half a billion dollars has been committed to free agency. Why? Because they were able to legally, legally start the negotiating process ahead of time. There was that courting period. Now, again, my understanding is there is no courting period this year. I could be wrong about that. I have not, you know, I haven't dug deep enough into it um, to, to be able to say that definitively. But let's assume that I'm right and there is no courting period. Uh, you have to be careful. You know, you can you can sort of indirectly reach out about a player. But, boy, if you're signing someone at 12.01, um, you can be sure that, uh, that Bill Daly and, and the rest of the people that monitor what's legal and what isn't in, in the National Hockey League are going to be checking you out there. So... Um, so, but, but, you know, your question was, you know, could this spill into a second day, the third day, the fourth, which is how it used to be, right? You know, there, you know, there'd be good players off the board and, and on the first day, but, but guys would fall to the second day, guys would fall to the third day. Sometimes they would fall to the fourth day when, you know, when the biggest free agent day of all time was, you know, Parisi and Suter going to Minnesota. And that took four or five days uh, many, many years ago because there were so many offers and there was so much going on and it took that long to negotiate that. So I do think that's possible. I think that um, it isn't just going to be Friday. It'll be, you know, it'll be through the weekend and, and you know, maybe even beyond that. So, uh, um, you know, you'll be sitting down to your Thanksgiving turkey and, and, and the biggest signing will come on uh, Monday the 12th, right? So, yeah, that'd be great. I'll call the they always manage to, to screw awesome. up Canadian holidays. You notice how they ever just manage to screw up American holidays when yeah. it comes to Canadian? It's the Wait only Canadian holiday. So. You're right. Now you <laughs> think about it. Eric, uh, great chat. We'll uh, we'll talk next week and we'll see where we're at as we get uh, on the eve of uh, of the draft here. Thanks so much for taking the time. All right. Thank you, guys. There we go. Eric Dachuk, our NHL insider right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, Peter Klein getting ready for hour number one of the big show. What have you got planned for us today, Peter? Uh, well, it's a, a very big money-making edition of uh, the, the first hour of the big show. As Good. we have Ian McMillan coming on from Odd Shark to help us make some money this weekend. And then we have Matt Marchese from Sportsnet.ca to help us with fantasy football decisions. A wrench has been thrown in to the fantasy football game plan with no Titans Steelers this week. So we'll try to help people adjust coming up at 145. There could be opportunity there. You can be all negative about it, or you can say, how can I make good on this exactly how can i take advantage of this situation turn a negative into a positive that's what i'm all about i'm never negative i know i know (laughs) all right pk is ready to go big show fires up next right here on sportsnet 960 the fan